0: Now, on BBC Radio 4, we dip into the archives. With a warning that it does reflect the attitudes of the time, we're off to the golf club. From 1973, Leslie Phillips, Robin Asquith and Hattie Jakes star in an early episode of Three Off The Tee. Tell you what, Mrs Fotheringham, your grip's really improved. Hello and welcome once again to the Old Grey Chipping Forecast. Um, I am Whispering Andrew Carter. Hello to Ian Carter. Hello, Ian. How are you? Hello, Andrew. It sounds like you've had another
1: busy week uh, dreaming up further. I mean, for people who didn't hear the first episode, they, they'll wonder what three of the T means
0: you know three off the tea i should say well three off the tea is uh well they should go back and listen to the first episode then we don't want people who are fly by night johnny come lately so they have got to be dedicated to the chipping forecast maybe that strange intro will get them to go back to the first episode and binge listen I a lot of people do binge listen to pods but we'll see and if they
1: don't it was my idea to call this pod three off the tea and it yes. was summarily
0: dismissed by you
2: yes yes it was
0: um so eddie uh, hello how are you very well
2: Andrew very well thank
0: you so Eddie has been just to update y'all what we've been doing since the last pod Eddie has been at the wilderness festival which um, the wilderness festival is (laughs) held in the enormous expansive wilds of Chipping Norton uh, where vast herds herds roam herds of jacintas looking for artisan bakeries roam the wilds there
2: why is it called the wilderness festival and how was it I'm not sure why it's called the wilderness festival although Having been there for three days, it, it's an apt name. It was very good. It was um, entertaining, enlightening, fun, and yeah, some incredible sights for it. It was, a, it was a good three days, I've got to say. For my first ever festival, I think I probably chose a good one.
0: Good. You sound as energized as I am. So, um, But anyway, listen, I can see that our special guest is there. Um, so we should. We were going to do a bit of blathering before introducing him, but I think he should be... Um, H- hang on a second, Andrew. What? Um, I'm the special guest. You're the special guest, so By, this is the special, extraordinary. Guest. That's what
1: I, I just wanted to make that point.
0: Yeah. So Ian is the regular special guest. This is the irregular special guest who has come to join us. Um, so actually, Ian's writing a book at the moment. How's that writing going in? Just quickly.
1: Uh, it's um, not very quickly is the is probably the best way to to describe it. All the twists and turns of the Gulf Wars. Uh, are, are, are a bit of a struggle to keep up with. So it's been a bit of a frantic, um, frantic couple of weeks trying to get back up to speed with it.
0: Um, but the publishers are on my back and I'm fighting them off. Oh, publishers, but it sounds like you've got a page-turner there, a plot twist uh, or two. Maybe. So there we go, a neat intro to um, our special, special, special guest. So I I was, um, just quickly, to give a little bit of a background to this, I remember that I used to write a column for Today's Golfer magazine, and it was taken over by, I, I quit because I have no staying power in anything. And John Robbins, the comedian, took it over, and he tweeted this out. And there was a reply from somebody who said, I used to write a column for Golf Monthly and blow me down, knock me over with a feather. I couldn't believe who said it uh, because it was none other than Richard Osman, who used to write a column for Golf Monthly. And I could not believe it. But we have Richard here to explain himself on the Chipping Forecast. Richard Osman, welcome.
3: Hello. I literally, my internet dropped out and I I joined you at Mr. Osman, welcome. That's good. I missed the entire introduction. I assume it was. Oh, it was brilliant it was a delight
0: it was very very good anyway so basically it was saying that you used to this would come as a surprise to a few people that you as a teenager mm. uh, were sending in columns to various publications and golf monthly was one of them you you used to have columns in golf monthly
3: yeah i was pretty pretty cool i think it's fair to say uh yeah i did i used to write for the enemy and i used to write for golf monthly which which weirdly were, were in the same building back then um one office was cooler than the other i'll let you uh, guess which? Yeah, Golf Monthly.
0: God, I used to write for Golf Monthly as well. So, oh, it was all going down there off just off uh, Oxford Street. Um, so I, so this is when in the, as you were a teenager, was this in the 80s, mid
3: 80s? 80s, yeah, sort of, um, yeah, 86, 87, I would say. Um, and it was, uh, I mean, literally, if, if you ask me what it's about, it's difficult to say. It was sort of a semi sort of satirical comic column about the month in golf. Does hmm. that sound like something you commission? That sounds like something that has been
0: commissioned and uh, I used to try and do it and it wasn't very good, but I would imagine yours, was, because that was, a, that was a hot time for golf in particular. It was really booming in the 80s and with all the, the, the success of Faldo and Lyle and Seve and Langer and Woozie. Yeah. So exciting
3: times. But it's always been a hot time for golf, hasn't it? I think, but yeah, that's that's when European golf was really kicking off and we started winning all the majors and we'd win the Masters every year. And um, so, yeah, there was always stuff to to talk about. But, you know, I always preferred talking about um, the obscurer players. That's where I have more fun. I'd rather talk about Ian Mosey than Ian Woosnam. Oh, Ian you know, Mosey. Uh, yeah. yeah. Ian
0: Mosey, uh, that's a great name. From Leeds, I think it was and Ian Mosey.
3: Yeah, he
1: was the son of Don Mosey, who was the the famous cricket commentator on Test Match Special.
0: Oh, this is what, we this go, is what see? I love. It was saying. Look at Eddie's little blank face at yeah. the
2: bottom. <laughs> my my brain had gone before this call. It's definitely gone now.
0: Oh so Ian Mosey. Yeah, you, you look up Google Ian Mosey. That's what this pod's gonna be called. Google Ian Mosey. Um <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. So but were you I, I saw a picture of you um as a young man, straight oh, yeah. intro, but I saw a picture of you as a young man playing well with golf clubs. Um so you were a golfer, are you still a golfer?
3: No, not really. I've always been terrible. I always friends of mine were golfers, and so and so I I would I would um walk walk around with them. I've got terrible eyesight, so I've never I've never really been able to. I can never see where the ball goes, even if it's only fifteen yards ahead of me. So I've never ever been able really to um to nail the game. But lots of my friends played, so I would always play. And as soon as we we're within a hundred yards of the green, I'd um I'd have a shot. So I spent a lot of my life on golf courses, but um not um you know never breaking anything close to par. See, this, Richard, touches on on something
1: that I think is one of the big misconceptions about golf, that you have to be a golfer to be a golf fan. In the media, in the golf media, there is an assumption that if you're not a golfer, you can't be in the golf media. Yet there are, there are lots of people in our five live commentary team, John Murray doesn't play golf does
3: he not second
1: yeah well there you go that's the attitude but actually you couldn't get a bigger golf fan although he does play a mean game of, of um of putt-putt on the uh, the Monday after the Masters every year at Guster and regularly beats Andrew at that but it's one of those really weird things because like any other sport you know you could be a rugby fan and never gone mm-hmm. near a rugby rugby pitch or or anything like that so what what is the fascination to you of of the game?
3: Well, I love sport, and I'm terrible at sport. So you know, my, uh, my, my, my my basic um, relationship with any sport is watching it on TV. I just always love golf, because you know, sport is soap opera, right? That's why that's why we love sport and individual sport. There's something about it. Okay, so I'm a Fulham fan, and I love the soap opera of Fulham, but individuals and the pressure they're under, you know, you see what Eddie puts himself through. It's, incredible it's etched on everybody's face what's happening the ups and the downs the rivalries you know look at lucas glover this week coming back was he had eight years out or something ridiculous and suddenly you know he's, he's uh he's he's winning again and he's 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 in the fedex and those stories every week there's something because it's one of the few sports where you've got 120 people teeing up at the start of the week and 80 of them have probably got a shot in any given week and there isn't another sport like that there isn't another sport where that soap opera kind of plays out across four days. You know, it just doesn't happen elsewhere. And that's what I love about it. I love the people. I love the personalities. I love the ebbs and flows. And I love how difficult it is and how difficult it is it is just etched onto the face of everybody who plays it. And occasionally you'll get a Scottish Sheffler who finds it easy for a few months, but no one ever finds it easy for, for, for longer than that, you know, apart from maybe Tiger.
0: So what do you watch as a golf fan then? I'm very interested in someone who is not immersed in golf, but certainly enjoys watching sport and watches golf. Do you have any interest in the in the current climate in golf? Do you have any interest in watching, if you could watch, live? Or is it more traditional golf for you? Or do you think everything has its place?
3: Yeah, live. I'm not a fan of, because if you're going to launch something, you make it entertaining. And I, I don't think they have. I'm a format guy. That's my career. You, oh. you think of ways to make something more entertaining. And I don't think they've done that. I don't think the team thing works. I don't, you know, I, I don't think it works as a format. You know, you could, uh, you, you, I'm sure you could have a crack at it. But at the moment, there's zero interest. I'm sort of interested in someone shooting 58. But, you know, I'd be interested if that was on the challenge tour as well. So I watched the DP tour. I love the DP tour. And I watched, obviously watch the, um, uh, the PGA tour as well. Very excited about the Ryder Cup, which is one of the genuine great formats in golf. Golf doesn't have a lot of great formats. Okay. It's four lots of 18 holes with 120 people playing. That's quite hard to make that a format. But the Ryder Cup, which, you know, because it's got stroke, because it's match play and because it's a whole series of match plays all at the same time. So there's always something exciting happening in the Ryder Cup. Um, so... I'll sort of watch any golf, and I'll bet on any golf. I will have small bets, which is why I love golf so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm. But the big stuff, I'm literally. I'll sit and watch. Um, you know, obviously I watch the uh, the Seniors Open. I'll do st- stuff like that. You know, I watched. Um, uh, I, w- I watch. I watch it. If, you know, if it's on, uh, I'll watch it. But live does it's just if you're gonna do it, do it better. You know, and quite apart from the politics of the thing, you know, give us give us better content. I would say.
0: You should hire yourself out as a consultant in terms mm. of formats, because that's your thing, as you say. Before you are a successful author, before being front of camera and pointless, you were the guy who came up with the ideas. So maybe yeah. that's it. Maybe you can come up with a, a new... Because everybody in sport is always looking for the new, young format, as if we have to change things necessarily for our modern, quick life. So maybe you should just come up with an idea that is going to solve all
3: golf's problems. Look at cricket, and everyone's horrified about T20. And firstly, I love T20. But secondly, look at what it's done. To test cricket, it's transformed it. It's brought it back into the public eye. It's been incredible for cricket. You know, they've genuinely turned around a sport. There, their media deals will be far bigger than they used to be. I mean, it's hard for golf to get uh, get bigger media deals, but it's possible to change your sport just meddle with it a little bit and make it more exciting. I have strong views on how to change tennis. Golf, I think, is probably is probably slightly harder. Oh, tennis! Can we take a quick diversion into how would you change tennis? First to four in every set, Andrew. I'm so sorry. First to four. First to four?
0: Am I going to have enough time to go, oh, that's too good, and um, just <laughs> lovely stuff? Of course not,
3: because it's first, then you play first to five sets. All right, okay, first to four. So you've got exactly the, same, exactly the same number of games, identical number of games, but you've got almost twice as many exciting ones, almost twice as many ones with real Jeopardy on them, You know, which is what sport is supposed to be. It's supposed to put elite people in Jeopardy. That's what they get paid for, and you get twice as much if you had first to four and, and first to five sets.
0: Andy, this is good. We're, we're putting you in yeah.
2: jeopardy here. We just want to put the sports people in jeopardy. Uh, <laughs> no, but R- Richard, I think, perfectly describes my frustrations too with live, And I think that that is such a common feeling. In fact, I've spoken to many people who say exactly what you've just said, Richard, and, and maybe not quite as eloquently, but certainly down the same lines and um, I agree entirely. And I think it's easy, you know, if you say something critical, then the other side just tend to throw things your way as if it's not constructive, but that is a very constructive criticism of the format itself. And and that is principally probably why it will fail as a product, as an an, an enterprise, certainly. I think interestingly it will evolve and under this framework agreement and as things move forward, I, I I hope anyway that the, the way forward would be for it to be reduced in size, be, contained elsewhere in the schedule, uh, condensed, and then get the, the some more top players ultimately playing. So it becomes something more like an IPL, which is an additive to the game of professional golf, as you've kind of described with cricket, which is what the IPL obviously has done in 2020 and whatnot. So that's hopefully where this will end up. But the fact that we had to go through what we've had to go through to get maybe to that point is pretty distressing I suppose or depressing certainly
1: but to pick up on that tennis analogy about the need to have more crucial points effectively Mm. wasn't it great watching the Wyndham championship on Sunday night where you had that whole narrative around Justin Thomas which wouldn't have been there if it had been the old rules of 125 going through to the playoffs rather than 70 bringing in that kind of brutal if this chip goes in on eighteen, yeah. you're going to be your season is still alive, and it hits the pin and it stays out, and he tumbles onto the ground dramatically. When does that ever happen in a rank and file PGA Tour event? It's You know, I I, I agree with you. I I, I agree 100 on the on the tennis front as as well. It's it's exactly the sort of change they should be looking to to make. But in terms of golf, just have more jeopardy involved for the fans so that more shots mean more. Things, but you need to also preserve that slow burn aspect to yep. it. You know, you, when you get to the crucial stage at the end of a, of a tournament, it is because you've put those hard yards in that perhaps haven't been noticed quite so, uh, quite, quite so vividly by the audience
3: that actually makes those crucial crescendo moments yep. as, as big as they are. Well, you guys know more than anything as commentators is the moments where you think I don't really have an awful lot to say here. Mm. And listen, golf scoring is good because you're constantly the the idea of par is very, very clever because you're, you're constantly comparing everyone in the field to each other. And, you know, every missed putt can, you know, take you down or move you up. Uh, so it's got good scoring, but you know that's the other live thing, isn't it, Eddie? No cuts, right? And listen, I'm sure there's a world in which you'd love that, but at the same time, it takes away jeopardy, and jeopardy is what is 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 why people get paid.
2: Yeah, 100, and and that's the ultimate with golf. That's the thing that I remember tweeting about this months ago when the PGA Tour were proposing something similar, and I said that would be such a grave error. Um, because it is, it is making the cut that I think is the hardest thing actually in professional golf. I, I honestly think sometimes making a cut is harder than winning a golf tournament because there is so much on the line, and you're not in a place where you can your body is responding to what your mind wants it to do. And like you say, you're not getting paid if you don't make that. That that is a, such a character building process, and over the years, would you know, it's easily understandable how that would create the kind of characters that it does in golf. And it is admirable, and the fact that guys like yourself who don't play golf can see that is is encouraging and and nice to hear really um but yeah no 100 percent. the eradication of cuts in golf is just a a, a bad bad um you know evolution
3: and how do you eddie how how do you when when you're on that sort of cut line you know so you've been in positions where you know you need to hold a putt to win a tournament you've been in positions where you need to hold a putt to make the cut what does that do to your brain what conversation are you having with yourself
2: I mean it's similar obviously in the sense that it's it's finite at that point. And there's a there's a very real, you know, black or white element to to the both of those things. The big thing I found though is just that simply your body is not responding. Mm. Um so you know the psychological uh part of it is very similar, but your body is in such a different place and your skill set isn't there. Mm. And that's where I think why making a cut is so difficult. And I know Podrack Harrington has said something of very similar uh, over the years and um it's just true. I think it's it's that element that makes it so hard. Personally,
0: can we talk about Bryson then? Um, I think we have to. So, I mean, I don't know if someone shoots fifty eight and no one's watching, does it happen? I mean, it did. So, it was a par seven. So, I don't. I'm not uh, putting down that a lot of people are think you talk about live bashing. So, everything. Everything that we say about Liv is uh, supposedly anti liv and but but that's impressive. Shooting sixty-one fifty-eight <laughs> anywhere is impressive. Around the Fullerton and Trun, par sixty-four, four thousand nine hundred yards. It's impressive, but it was preferred lies. It's a par seventy, but it's still amazing doing it with a with a bogey. Um, I. I think the question that arises from it at the moment, as Richard's talked about, the, the Ryder Cup is very exciting. We talked about Justin Thomas and the PGA Tour, trying to get into the top 70, trying to get into the playoffs, trying to show, show Zach Johnson that he's still got something. And he can't, unless he goes to play in Europe now, unless he tries to find some tournaments somewhere else, which I think would be a good idea for him. He can't show Zach Johnson anything more between now and the Ryder Cup. But Bryson DeChambeau, forget about this win. Forget about the 58. Throughout the season, he's much, much closer to the Bryson of two years ago than the Bryson of, of last year and the injuries and rather overweight. And it's it's impressive. And he has to be, I think he has to be a, a, a major consideration for the Ryder Cup. Uh, yeah, if
3: you want my view on that, um, I'd, I'd be fascinated to hear um, Eddie and Ian's. Of course, that American team, because Wyndham Clark and, and Brian Harmon won the majors, it's it's got a slightly brittle look to it that American team, and however brilliant Patrick Cantley is, again, you're not thinking, is this the guy we want to back? You know, on the uh, on on the last nine, so they do need three or four. You need you do need some of the big names in that Ryder Cup, is the truth. However well people have played during the season, uh, you know, you need some of those big names. So you know, I, I, I don't see how you wouldn't choose them. I,
1: I as a counter, and I, I agree. I agree very much what you're saying there there richard in terms of you want to have your best players there one thing i'd say about um DeShambeau, i mean he had what eight drives uh of more than 340 yards one 392 yards so we know how his game is 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 built and what it's built around and zach johnson will be looking at how luke donald is setting up the course in italy which is actually to combat the the long drivers so then you have to bring other dynamics into play don't you Eddie and where does DeShambeau sit with the rest of the team team harmony team spirit who does he play with all of that comes into play um obviously he was very very successful in a very very successful American Ryder Cup team last time out at Whistling Straits but it was a completely different golfing test there to what it's going to be in Italy. So I think that comes into the equation. And that's not me saying, no, he shouldn't be picked. But it almost, to me, makes me think, well, that brings Justin Thomas potentially back into the fold, even though his PGA Tour season is done. I think there's an awful lot to be weighed up, is basically what I'm saying, as I sit here resolutely on the fence.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure I'm going to make a judgment call on this either. But I, I I agree with everything that's been said. I think Bryson's game would be quite well suited to Italy. Uh, If you look at the guys who have won there in the past, they've historically been very good drivers of the ball. Um, And there are a few par fives where if you can hit a tee shot 360 yards off the tee, that's a massive advantage. So I do think his game would stack up well there. To your point on the team harmony aspect, that would be the one thing for me. You know, if let's say it was Dustin Johnson in his position, I think he would be much more pickable because he's much more popular um, with his fellow compatriots and i don't think bryson is is um that popular so there is an element that 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 zach johnson might well have to and probably will consider um so it's going to be interesting i think obviously the unfortunate thing with what's happened with liv is that there's just so few opportunities to see these guys compete against one another to know truly where they're sitting against each other right and and actually when they have in the majors yeah i know bryson did pretty well i think at um uh, oak hill was it but Mm -hmm. other than that he's not exactly you know blown us all away. So. Uh, for me still brooks Kepka would be the only guy playing on live who I would who I would have in that team I think they're plenty strong enough to pick uh, and I actually wouldn't have Justin Thomas in the team at this point I think there are 12 players who are playing better don't get me wrong Justin's shown an incredible amount of courage and grit and he will continue to do that and I wouldn't be surprised to see him turn up in Europe and and if he does find some form maybe go ahead and win an event and then it could change but uh, that would be my feelings
0: uh, Zach Johnson is a good friend of Justin Thomas's. They, they roomed
3: together. They He they did his charity day. So, oh, oh, I'm just throwing that out there. He's got six picks. So that's yeah. to, to be someone, to, if DeChambeau was your seventh pick, uh, I think he'd have something to say about it. Do you know what? I mean? You've got past kind of Finau and Burns and people, you know, I'd, I I don't know who the who the sixth pick would be on that, uh, on that team. But let's say Justin Thomas is the sixth pick. I don't know who the fifth pick would be. Yeah, I
0: mean, you would have you would have DeChambeau ahead of someone like uh, Sam Burns, but then Sam Burns might fit nicely into the team mm-hmm. ethic, and everyone's uh, everyone's happy. Eddie, you as a man immersed in golf, Eddie, and golf technology and pro senders, uh, you will know I hadn't heard of a, a crank driver. Crank, are you, are, are even you're looking bewildered by this. So DeChambeau's is using a crank driver. Uh, made by crank I, I think really sort of racy uh sort of pxg type companies have to just have one syllable exciting names like the team names on on live so crank drive I, the, I looked at their website if you look at their website it gives you a, a, a migraine within 10 seconds it's a website which is not averse to a bit of hyperbole they like um capital letters and a big font and lots of red but they so they have three types of driver they have one which is for between 85, no, for less under 85 miles an hour club head speed, you can buy the Formula Fire X, um, which is, uh, no, that's, sorry, that's the, oh, I've got the names wrong. No, Formula Fire X, I oh, don't know, I think that's between 85 and 105. Listen, I'm not a salesman for crank. I don't care that I'm messing this up. But it's got super high coefficient of restitution. And then for 85 to 105, you've got high coefficient of restitution. And then Bryson was using one called the Formula Fire Pro, Another exciting uh, words. Formula Fire Pro that is labeled as USGA conforming, which would suggest to me that the other two aren't conforming. So you can get 40 yards further on your drives, apparently. Long drive contest, they use the Formula um, Fire X Pro Super Waz thing. Um, but he used this driver and he said that he could just hit it and he didn't have to worry about where he was hitting it in the face. It just went out there. It was drive and putting. That's what the two parts of his game that he was concerned about. Now, if ever there was anything which summed up where we are with equipment and how far it's gone and how annoying it is and how big the font is, that then it's, it's Crank and their drivers and Bryson DeChambeau in tandem with Crank. So I don't, um, I don't know. I don't want to go back to Richard Osman in the 80s with his tiny persimmon woods. But I'd quite like to see you were talking about rolling back the ball last week, Ian, and and this is what I would like the drivers to be, de de cranked if that's possible.
1: Yeah, I thought I found it dispiriting when um, you know Bryson shambo was saying I can hit it out of the toe, I can hit it out of the heel, I can hit it out of the middle, and it's all the same. I just bend down, pick up the tee, job done. Well, that to me is just dumbing down a sport that should be a, a lot a lot more difficult and challenging than that, and that's not to decry obviously the um, extraordinary amount of work he's put into generating club head speed but for me the attraction of the game and I think for an awful lot of people the attraction of the game is that you just don't have to be the beefiest in the classroom to be the best and um and that that kind of thing is yeah you know, it's just disappointing
0: you know miss hit should be punished. Eddie's ordering a crank at the moment. I can see him. He's
2: on. just put the card number in. And, uh...
0: <laughs> there was, a, I got, I went on a deep dive in the internet. I got Peter Von Panda on YouTube, who is a very cheery guy for a start, but he's got, he's got over a couple of hundred thousand subscribers and he reviews golf products. And that's what a lot of people do on YouTube, don't they? They just unbox mm. things, unpack things. That's what I'm going to do next. Uh, and Peter Von Panda was just, he was, he was reviewing the crank. But his was the crank um, ultra-high coefficient of restitution because his club head speed, Peter Von Panda's club head speed was below 85. Come on, Peter Von Panda, if that
2: is your real name, sort it out. Nothing wrong
0: with that. There's nothing wrong with that at all, no, but um, Ian's ordering one. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that'll do me.
2: (laughs) I I did just Google it and I typed in crank as you'd normally spell it and nothing came up, so unsurprisingly, it's spelled with a K, isn't it? It it is, yeah. A few silent Zs in there as well, probably. Yeah, Uh, and to to Ian's point about the strike, you know, and I've said this before, but I'll labour the point one more time. You know, where we're trying to get to with hitting a driver, obviously, he's got speed at one end and precision at the other end, and things have definitely moved too far in the direction of it being all about speed, right? And this is an even further step in that direction which is just totally not where we should be going and if you shrink the sweet spot you, you you're favoring precision and like i've said before when precision is the aim the, the the game then you tend to go more slowly and that way we will reward over time the guys that can go at faster speeds in a more precise way and so we need to reduce um and this might be the one Actually, this might be the thing if this is another game changer and wouldn't it not be surprising really to see bryson do it this could be the straw that breaks the uh camel's back i think is the saying but, um, Richard, you'll definitely correct me if I'm wrong there.
3: That is absolutely correct,
2: Eddie. Getting there. Oh, he made the that's, cut.
0: That's all you wanted from uh from Richard Osmond to say that's absolutely correct. You yes. said that. Uh anyway, listen, we've got to move on because there are quite a few subjects to cover this week. Just uh, reviewing uh our last bit of review of the of the weekend. Uh the Women's Scottish Open, Celine Bouttier going back to back. I mean, she has to go back to back to back uh for to win the women's open this week at Walton Heath. We'll talk about that shortly, but I mean, you can't get more, many more different courses than going from the Evian to going to Dundonald mm. and winning handsomely at both of them. That's that's something to be applauded. Uh, incredible performance.
1: And, I, I you yeah, know, we said last week that uh, um, Suzanne Peterson would be absolutely thrilled to bits with Boutier's win at the Evian. She's going to be even happier now to have someone in such irrepressible form at the moment. And I noticed she said that if she goes on to win at Walton Heath, she should probably just retire. I mean, it is asking a lot to go back to back. This first time it's happened since, I think, 2021 on the LPGA Tour to go three in a row with two of them as majors. You're getting into Rory McIlroy 2014 territory there. So it is asking an awful lot, but it's sensational from a European perspective to have a, a French woman like that uh, playing that calibre of golf. She's 29 under par for our last two tournaments. And it was
0: another dominant performance. Really, really good. Yeah, I was up there for a day uh, wandering around Dundonald in the sunshine. And it was, a, again, it was a little bit like the senior open because you don't get the crowds. We talk about how successful the open is in the crowds where you can't really see anything. But if you actually want to watch golf you pick and choose your tournaments. You either watch on TV or if you want to go to a tournament. So the Women's Scottish Open was fantastic. I was uh, just wondering I've actually played in the dogs were. the dogs. Oh, you've played in the Pro-Am? No, well, it used to be a Pro-Am. The yeah. actual tournament was a Pro-Am. Of course it did, he said, pretending to know that. Uh, yes, no, it was. Of course, remember, it was a Pro-Am mm. uh, back in the year 20, 12, 11, 10. No, no, it was more recent than that. I yes, think. that's what I was going to say. It was more 17? recent than that. Yeah, twenty seventeen exactly, which is what I said. So um, we didn't make the cut. We didn't make the cut. Alex Fitzpatrick won on the Challenge Tour as mm-hmm. well. So golfing brothers. I mean, the Molinari is still setting the pace, and Bobby and Lanny Watkins I can't think of any. Eddie and Joe Pepperell, Um I can't think of any more. So, um, but well done for. I mean, I thought, you know, because Matt Fitzpatrick has achieved so much already and is such a big talent you know it's always going to be hard for someone to to mm. follow that a few years later that's why it's so impressive what alex is, has done so far great finish in the open winning in the challenge tour could he be the more successful fitzpatrick do you know much about his game eddie
2: no i don't to be honest with you andrew i think he works with mike walker like matt uh, and i think he's been a long-term kind of pupil like matt so uh, he swings it quite differently what i would say actually is that he, his swing is moving their kind of swings are actually from what i have seen converging in a similar direction so um that's maybe interesting but uh it's obviously a good player and we shall see will it be better than Matt? that's a, that's a tough one my, my instinct tells me now at this point but good you're
0: thrill. you're feeling
2: the effects of wilderness still what what went on in wilderness what goes on in wilderness stays in the wilderness <laughs> can you can you t- actually, uh, let me just tell you the one the one highlight and i didn't participate in this there was a cricket match that every year they do a cricket match and it's kind of in this bowl, natural bowl. And uh, it's all relatively normal, although people are dressed in all sorts of wacky outfits, but then randomly yesterday, I think Australia were 86 for eight or something. The game just stopped and YMCA came on and hundred, 200 kids. There was a lot of kids there, a lot of families ran rings around the pitch while at the same time, dozens of naked adults just ran in between them and started dancing to the YMCA on the wicket and it was bizarre it was a bizarre 10 minutes um, but it was a highlight so that's the sort of stuff that goes on at Wilderness but you'll be pleased to know I was not one of the naked ones I'd already been recognized five or six times and I thought there is no way I can uh, I can get fully naked and, and run out in case someone takes a photo and that would be the end of my already tumbling career that's amazing what what
0: what on earth happens in the cotswolds um so you um you did send a picture on our group of the outfit that you were wearing i don't know if it's for the whole three days but where you did look as we pointed out a bit like the the shaman who led the storming of the capital back on the the 6th of december (laughs) january whenever it was january um yes so uh, that was that was an interesting effort but i'm glad to hear that it stayed on you and what are they
2: doing naked with children around? This isn't Sweden. What's happening? This is the thing, and I and I tell you, nearly every other person is a lawyer or an accountant or probably a civil servant. Mm. Um, there is there's people there that just want to let their hair down, and uh, and I'll yeah, you can certainly do that for a few days if you to there, among you know, invisibly away from your employers. I think is the way I describe it. So I'm sure you'll be there next year, Andrew, especially working for the BBC occasionally.
0: Yeah, exactly. We'll have highlights of it. It's probably I'd shown at midnight. <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> oh, the Wilderness Festival. I was actually, I did look at it quickly and it was, so it's not just music, it's readings, it's poetry, it's performance, it's life coaches. Oh, I'll tell you who's a life coach now. Oscar Sharp, that we talked about last at the golfer, the prodigy, um, yeah. is does life coaching and such things. So
3: there we are. I tell you what, when the when when one of your friends announces they become a life coach, you know they're in trouble, right? You know that's a <laughs> that's a cry for help. Oh me, yeah, I've become a mentor slash life coach. I can <laughs> tell you all
0: how to live. Your Last life.
3: time I saw you, you you were you were throwing up outside a bar, to saying you hated your life, and that was like a week ago. So. <laughs> I'm a life coach who will gamble naked
0: through the fields in Chipping Norton. Anyway, good... Ap- oh the Wilderness Festival. Yes, we've got to get on that. Um, right, I've been rather thrown there. Let's have a, a quick break. You're listening to the Chipping Forecast. And like all forecasts, it's hit and miss whether they get it right or wrong. Okay, so... Oh, good old Padraig. Um, the Women's British Open, big week. I mean, the the women's majors are coming thick and fast, even if... Some of them we don't consider majors, but this one certainly is. Ian, you'll be at Walton Heath. Um, the site of Eddie's dominant victory in the 2018 British Masters. Who was second, Eddie? Do you know or even care? I do. You destroyed them.
2: Yeah, it was Alexander Bjork. Yeah, Bjork. Um, yeah. So, yeah.
3: <laughs> whatever, whatever happened to him? <laughs> yeah, he's he's been playing quite well this year. He has been playing well, yeah. yeah he's been just, doing well. Saying, yeah yeah anyway so but more
0: importantly um the women's British Open this this week uh I mean I, I like it at Walter. I like seeing the Lynx courses, but I also like seeing great older courses that you can play. At a yardage that I think is more shows them off a little bit better than perhaps going to a Carnoustie or somewhere and playing it off far forward tee. So Ian, you must be looking forward to this week. Very much looking forward to it. Uh, I love Walton Heath anyway,
1: and I think I agree with you. It's it's the kind of course that I think will will bring big galleries, Um and that's why it's it's there rather than on what would be a potentially more remote remote venue uh, on the seaside links. But I think it's got. You know, so much history uh, to it down the years as a Ryder Cup uh, venue, and and, and yeah, you know, I mean, you just go go through um, so many great events, European Opens. Uh, Andrew Murray, one of our great summarizers on Five Live, when the, the European Open there back in 1989, I believe, um, and obviously Eddie's win in the in the British Masters in the relatively recent history. Um, but I just think that it's it it's one of those courses that I think will showcase the women's game really, really well. I think there's a great deal of momentum about the women's game. It is so international. It is not, there is that kind of cliche that it is Asian dominated. It isn't. There are coming stars like Rose Sang, which I think will excite. The the crowds there. I think they'll be very keen to see players like Lynn Grant as well. And you've got uh, British hopes, and I do think it, it it shapes up well for for Charlie Hull. We were very excited about her prospects for the the Evian have, after finishing second at Pebble Beach. She doesn't like the Lynx courses. She likes defined inland courses. And although it's there are trees there, but it's not tree lined. But Eddie, the, the the fairways are very well defined in terms of the heather that's, that's around it, it kind of shows you where you need to go there. I mean, you, you know better than anyone else here, what the test is at at, at Walton Heath, how do you think it'll shape up for the women?
2: Yeah. The one thing I've always loved about Walton Heath is that, as you say, it isn't very wide, but it, doesn't feel narrow because there aren't trees. It's it's you know, the, the width is defined obviously by the heather that's in play. So you need to hit it accurately, but I always felt I could swing quite freely uh, around that golf course simply because there aren't any trees. Um, so I'm the opposite to Charlie Hole, really. And um yeah, I, I think it's a great course. There can't be many places where you can combine, you know, have a composite course that's even better than the two individual courses, but but that's kind of what happens at Walton Heath, they're both absolutely great golf courses and their own merit, but uh the, the composite course that we played, which I think they're also playing, is is brilliant. And um, you know, again, it's got some good psychology to Walton Heath. The, the front nine is very very difficult, um, or at least it was when I've played it in the past. You know, and it, invariably you're kind of playing into the wind, so very tough going out. And you know that, so you know you need to be, you know, really with it with your game. And um, it's uh, it's a good, it's a great golf course and, and a great venue for the Ladies Open.
0: I, Ian, between now and the end of the... Women's uh, the podcast. yeah the, Sorry, Ian.
2: Women's Open. Let me so take that back. Face.
0: Yes, so uh, we've got to pick a winner of the, the Women's Open between now and the end of the podcast, so let me just see what Peter Von Panda is saying about it, and then I'll just say, <laughs> agree with whatever he says. Um, we'll do some Ryder Cup reminiscing as well, um, between now and the Ryder Cup, fittingly. And uh, Walton Heath, Eddie won't remember this, he wasn't even born i barely remember it but 1981 walton heath was the the most dominant performance by a site well until so there were some recent ones that were big big wins as well but the 1981 american side uh won eighteen and a half nine and a half mm. and you just go down the list of the the names in, in that and it was extraordinary but it, it wasn't a bad it wasn't a bad um european side as it was apart from the fact that Sevy wasn't in it because he did a falling out with the tour over um uh over appearance money so he didn't, he didn't play in it. But um, there was a very, very good uh, European team. Uh, Eamon Darcy was on the side, though, uh, being booed by Labradors, whose ears he had grabbed in an attempt to train them. But uh, it was a very, very uh, impressive side that was absolutely thumped. And, uh, but then it was the next one, 1983 in Florida, where things really started to turn around, Seve and Way playing together, and they came so close. And then then it, began, it, it became after that, really, it started to become the, the monster, lovely monster, That it is now, Um, but just throwing you back to nineteen eighty one, Eddie, and you're looking as if you want to be back in the wilderness.
2: I just Seve and Paul Way was that? I mean, what sort of pairing did that pairing kind of write itself, or was that out of left field? No, that was was it? Who was captain in eighty three? Was it Gallagher
0: in eighty three? I can't. This is terrible. I can't. Um, no, 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 no. Call, is is it wasn't Gallagher. No, it was, was
3: it Jacqueline?
0: Did Jacqueline started. It was. Did he do it in '83? That's terrible. Sorry. That was his first one, wasn't it? Was his first one. Anyway, it was just. It was a bit of inspiration on the captain's part. Look Ian's running off to to check. <laughs> Sorry, Ian's sitting in his seat and checking deeper in his memory where he's going to find the answer. Uh, yeah, I think it was. I think. It, I think it was. But anyway, it was just one of those inspirational partnerships where he said, "Right, Palway. Palway was just." You're ripping it at the time, yeah, exactly. All right, okay. Uh,
2: no, just, just confirming it for you. Shout out things that was a bit of insight there, Ian. When you got up, your chair turned, and I didn't realize on the back of it's got BNP on it. It <laughs> was actually that's BNP it. Paribas, he's got a chair that's sponsored by
0: a French bank. Um, so it, it was, um, yes, because he put him with the, the rookie with the great man, and they played together so well. And Sevi put his arm around Paul way all the time and said, You are a great player, etc. And then I think they tried to do the same thing with uh Faldo and David Guilford at Kiowa. <laughs> and well, Nick Faldo not only didn't put his arm around David Guilford, but I don't think it spoke to him all the way around and they lost seven and six in one of their matches. So it works sometimes and it doesn't in others. Um captains oh. but they won two and a half points. Paul Way and
1: and Seve, uh, the the one match they lost was to Tom Kite and Calvin Peat in the morning foursomes, um, but then they really got it got it together. Great win against Floyd and Strange in the afternoon.
0: Is this all coming from your memory now? This is amazing. Yeah,
1: it's just yeah, it's incredible. Gil Morgan and Jay Haas they halved with, and then they beat Tom Watson
0: and Bob Gilder right. on the uh, Saturday afternoon. You're just reading out results from Raider Cups now. Well, it's
1: just. No, it is interesting. interesting. I like in it. Detail. I
2: do like it. Um, Calvin I'll... Pete, there must be a golf swing that mm. should surely be put in. Maybe not the same bracket as Hogan and Sneed, but that's, that's up there, wouldn't it? What a wonderful move!
0: Well, Calvin Pete, he had a he had a withered left arm, didn't he? That he couldn't quite straighten it. Ian, no, he couldn't. He fell out of a tree as a
1: kid. He was one of nine children, and his parents divorced. I think it was like somewhere like Ohio, somewhere up in the in the north. And half of his family, so the mother took half the kids down to Florida and he was he was one of them. All the father did one way or the other. And the other half of the family stayed in the north when they they split up. And then he worked his way back from the very south of America, back up to the north, kind of buying and selling stuff. And he was in a bar one night just as a teenager. And he saw Jack Nicholas win like one hundred thousand dollars for playing golf and he sort of turned to a guy in the bar and said well, he got a hundred thousand dollars for playing golf i can do that and he taught himself with a, a wonky arm to to play golf to the standard that got him into the u.s rider cup team won him the the players championship to me he i'd love to see the film mm. here richard you,
3: you've got influence here yeah. this
1: this is the film isn't it what um? What a life story! Yeah, it's amazing,
3: yeah. and and yeah, the the sort of thing that seems to happen less in golf these days as well. So it'd be a nice, totally, it'd be a nice throwback.
0: Well, somewhere now there might be in a bar in the deep south of the United States somebody watching Bryson DeChambeau on TV and saying, "What well, that guy's won four million dollars for smashing it anywhere in the face of his crank club? Right? Yeah.
2: I'm going to try that, I'm, and I'm going to go to Saudi Arabia." <laughs>
3: Oh, it's an inspirational
0: tale, Richard. I
2: yeah. can <laughs> see it now. I, I saw quite a few people fall out of trees this weekend.
0: Naked. <laughs> naked people falling out of the naked people tree. Um, Right, Tiger on the PGA Tour policy board. Ian, talk to us.
1: Yeah, uh, well, this is something that I'd like to ask Richard about as well, because it kind of touches on what we were discussing right at the start in terms of formats and how uh, how the the game is, is run. and. And is it run for the benefit of the audience or for the players? Because Woods has been brought in, obviously, as the most powerful voice among the players, but also to give a majority on the PGA Tour Policy Board to the players under the understanding that everything now goes through the players and can't be decided by those who were the officials who were in charge of the tour, i.e. the players are fed up with the way that the framework agreement was thrashed out, the fact that they were kept in the dark, and so it now all has to come via the players. Now, that is going to ensure the best deal for the players, but is that the most important thing for the, for the, for the fan or for the sport in general, should it not go to the experts in terms of, you know, running an organization that can be the most successful in terms of its widest appeal. Um, That's my kind of extended take on it. But um, the fact that that woods has agreed to do it. um, I think there was a lot of concern that he'd said absolutely nothing in the immediate aftermath to this framework agreement, but he clearly has views and they are going to be views that will hold an awful lot of sway going forward as this thing is thrashed out and the future of
3: golf is is determined. Yeah, I think he's got an enormous amount of authority, which is very, very useful at the moment because, um, you know, obviously there are an awful lot of people coming into golf trying to make it their own and trying to steer it in their direction. Um, players are not always the best people to know what's best for a particular game. Often they are. Certainly, they're, you know, mental health and things like that, they're very good. But in, in terms of the the format of a game, they're not always the best. And certainly, the best player there's ever been is probably not the best person to work out how to make golf more exciting because his his view of golf is different to anyone who's ever lived, you know? Um, but so I think it's great that he's there. And I think he has a net worth. Which makes him a powerful, um, which which, sports people are now the most important people in the world in terms of social influences, right? Because the only thing we ever watch live now is news and sport. It's all we ever watch live. And if you're at the top of your game in a sport, if you're a footballer or, or, or what have you, sooner or later, you're going to own the sport. There is no other way of doing it. Administrators are not going to own sports in 10 years' time. You know, uh, billionaires are not going to own football clubs. Footballers are going to own them. Um, The golf tour is not going to be run by the PGA. It's going to be run by golfers because of social media, because of the incredible reach these people have, because of the incredible sums of money that they can make now. Um, And I guess I'd rather Tiger Woods was doing that than, say, Phil Mickelson. It feels like Tiger has a feel for the soul of the game. uh, And that's something. But players are going to run golf in 10, 15 years time, and players are going to run football and players are going to run baseball, because the money that they can make now, and the money they can make for marketeers and for companies is so immense, they become more powerful than the tours or the clubs that they play for or play on.
0: See, the intellectual level of debate on this podcast has gone up a notch this week, and I, I just can't. I can't <laughs> honestly, I can't. No, but it's brilliant. Not no, I mean, I, I mean, that's in a positive way. That's uh, yeah, yeah. I was just about to say, um, talk about dogs and golf courses. We do have to,
1: um, hang on, what does Eddie think of that? What, what Richard just yeah. said there? Because you know, if, if, if we just had someone who sits on a tournament committee. And to get their view, um, it'd be well, great. bringing
2: it down a notch or two. Um, I, I <laughs> you could well be right. I think I agree with what you say, Ian. Where one of you guys said it, where players may not be the best people to run the sport. That would be my concern. And part of me here wonders if this is just an abdication of responsibility on the shoulders of Jay Monahan, in an effort to keep him in power. And rather than actually having the true standard ethics of governance, whereby if, if a CEO or a commissioner. If they do bad, they lose their job, and and you have to elect people that you trust to run that job. I mean, that's my feeling with it, and that's certainly my feeling towards Keith Pelley and the guys at the top of the European Tour. And there's a you know period of time, and if they don't, if they do a bad job, they lose they'd lose their job, and that's where I would rather see it kept. But clearly, that's not what's happened in the U.S. And time will tell if that'll be a good move. But I instinctively think that it could go south because um yeah, I'm with you entirely that I don't think the players are necessarily the best people to uh, to run their sports.
0: All right, we've got, to, we've got to move it on because time is pressing. Richard's quite busy. We're even more busy. I've, um, I've been recording a, a video game for most of the day, and so I've got to go and have some sleep. And I was doing, do you remember playing, um, I don't know if you ever played like Tiger Woods 04 or whatever year. So that was yeah. about the year I was playing it. And David Fertie, uh did some commentary for it. I think Gary McCord might have done some of the other commentary. But anyway, David Ferti seemed to have about five phrases that he'd just gone in to record, like, Krusty the Clown doing a voiceover for his talking doll. Just bada-boom, bada-bing, out he went. So he used to hit, if it was raining on the course on this game, you know, he, he would say, nice weather for ducks. And, what uh, was Bruce Forsyth again. Um, or, or he'd <laughs> hammer it about 400 yards and he'd go, yeah, that'll do it. And those were, he had mm-hmm. about two more phrases and that was about it. Well, I went in today to record for a, a rugby game, 4,400 lines of commentary to do. So you've done, you don't do your audiobooks, do you, Richard, yourself? Oh my God, no. Can you imagine? Well, yeah, I can imagine because I've done I've done four of them and they're painful. But anyway, so, no, painfully fun. Sorry for those who, are, who listen to them, <laughs> they're enjoyable. But, but doing a video game, because you've just got to do every possible, if you can imagine a rugby game and everything that happens in a rugby game, and then you've got to read out every country and every stadium and every player. And I'm regretting my life choice after doing it for a day. I just wish I could just go here we are at Murrayfield, nice weather for ducks, and then just let it flow.
2: But they want more than that. So there, there was one other that you missed out there, the one I remember, and it was just where you'd say you have a short straight, it's a straight uphill part, it's a stiffy. That's what you used to say. <laughs> that passed back in the day, and I'm pretty sure I'm not wrong, and I haven't made that up. So uh, someone will be able to email in and... Uh... I'm. I'm fairly
0: certain you've made that up, and no. you've imagined the wilderness, the cricket match in the wilderness festival. So, <laughs> anyway, so, so what I was going to say, sorry, I wanted to move it on because we're all we're all very very busy. Um, just quickly, on the last episode, in a nod to a long forgotten feature from the Paper Pod, there aren't many golfers called. Uh, I mentioned that there weren't many golfers called Norman. So we have had correspondence on quite a few topics this week, and on the there aren't many golfers called Norman. We missed out a Ryder Cup player, but an oddly overlooked Ryder Cup player. 1975. Norman Wood, a Scottish player, um, played. He had been a, a. He was assistant to Bob Jameson, the great uh, Turnbury pro, and then he, he went on to to the sort of embryonic European tour. I think he won the Italian Open. Played in the '75 Ryder Cup at Laurel Valley. Beat Lee Trevino in the singles. Mm. I just think he's quite a sort of overlooked. Two and one. He yeah, beat him two and, one. two and one. Ian's digging out from his memory again. Anyway, so very sadly, he died a couple just a couple of months ago, Norman Wood. But it's amazing. He's just sort of. I couldn't remember a golfer called Norman, and uh, we couldn't on the pod either Norman Wood. So. Um, Memories of Norman Wood. He played at Sandy Lane in Barbados. He was the pro there for a few years. Wow. That's a gig. Yeah. That's a nice gig. <laughs> what a job that is. <laughs> and then he became the pro at Royal Guernsey as well and settled there eventually. So um there we are. Norman Wood. Anyway. Can yes. I just can I just say thanks to um
1: to the guys that got in touch to say I I mentioned those four holes in one at Mayrick Park in Bournemouth. Um it's actually Merrick Park. Yeah. They said uh, Merrick as in Derek. Ludwig, Not many golfers called no, Derek. Um,
0: Derek, oh
1: Derek, actually
0: that's Derek Cooper.
3: Derek, Derek Cooper, oh, of
1: course. Probably, but yeah. Derek, 1988, Madrid Open. Derek, oh, that's a good one. Not D
3: E R R I C K, right? Correct. Oh,
1: yeah. yeah, I read it in your column. The Richard. oil spelling, oh, Yeah. Goodness.
2: <laughs> Bit like John Merrick and the elephant in the room today, Andrew, is that you're less intelligent than I thought. In terms of, in terms of what? Just getting you? your facts wrong. I thought you had I thought you'd never got these sort of facts right wrong. But it turns out you do.
0: I got, the, I got the captain in 1983 wrong, uh, deeply wrong. Because I know that Bernard, I was doing a chat with Bernard recently. I knew he wasn't the captain in 83, but it just, it just came out under the pressure of the pod and thinking
3: about naked cricket again. A lot of re-recording as well for some of the other facts that you got wrong. There's been a lot of rewinding, but the, the public will never know that. And edit point.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> so Eleanor McNiven uh, mentioned Peterhead Golf Club allowing dogs but only in a lead and certainly not in the clubhouse uh, and she was asking if the club that I'm now allows the, my dogs in the clubhouse. No it does not. Uh, Gordon Adam emailed saying that Gullen takes dogs and he's offered us a game there. Um, but there's some review. So this is what you have to do in podcasts apparently. And You have to sell yourself. I don't like selling myself. It's it's uh, selling a product. Um, but you're supposed to say oh phone's going. The phone never goes. I never get calls. That's someone telling, yeah. to, telling you to sell yeah,
3: your And that That's exciting. is a Samsung. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it, I think it is a Samsung. Um, anyway, so uh, reviews. Most of all, I like the ones that say they don't like golf, but enjoy listening to this, this podcast. Tall Trace on iTunes. I imagine Tracy, who's taller than average, says, golf is a total mystery to me, but features hugely in my husband's life. Lucky Tall Trace. Uh, I'm surprised how much this podcast makes me laugh. So, thank you very much. And CRSJO says, not interested in golf in the slightest, love listening to this, I'm strange. And then on Twitter, Charlotte Mary Smith, aka at Bwanger88, is it still Twitter? I don't think it is. Said very nice things about one section in particular and her reaction to it, which led to her crumpling in a heap and her dog coming over to see if she was okay. So, if you've got thoughts on the podcast, please, please, uh, I don't like asking for reviews because then people send a,
3: a negative review. Along. People don't. Pe- pe- people are lovely, by and large. In this life, if you like something, tell people. If you don't like it, keep it to yourself. There's plenty of good things out there. So anyone who is listening, just listen. If you like it, say nice things. I think people are pretty good at that on the internet. People are pretty good with books and things. People are not bad at just at saying nice things books and things what do you know about or, books and things or or,
1: or do as, as somebody has done on the reviews for for this podcast by slagging us off but still giving us five stars
3: oh perfect well it's confusing it doesn't matter what they say so long as they give you five stars it's confusing
0: you don't know which end of the stars to go to you see so i think he wanted to go to the five stars or sort of drag it down to one but he'd already committed by then and it was registered so um we rate his review poorly um, so that I think is just about just about it. Like and subscribe, leave a review. Ian, final thoughts?
1: Yeah, I've just got one quick question for, for Richard because when I flew to the Italian Open earlier this year, uh, in the queue to get on the plane, I turned to my producer and I said, that's Richard Osman hmm. over there. And at, at that point, it never entered my head that you might have been actually getting on that plane to go to the Italian Open. So I'm just intrigued
3: to know, were you? No, I was. I was. I was. I was going to Rome. Um, funny enough, I messaged Eddie uh, and said I was going to come along. I thought if if he was going to win, I thought if he's like a shot off the lead coming into Sunday, I'm going to come along. But I don't think you were Eddie. You played well, didn't you, that week? I I can't remember. Uh, but you were there. For... <laughs> you were definitely there for the weekend. Yes. Yeah, I remember
2: messaging you.
0: Oh, excellent, uh, Richard. Where are you with your books at the moment? The Last Devil to Die. That's out next month, is it?
3: It is out, yet yeah, in September. It's very exciting. The fourth Thursday Murder Club novel. Some are calling it the best. Others are calling it the fourth. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, yeah, the 14th. So it's um, you can pre-order now, but uh, also you can wait till the 14th. But I, th- I, th- I think it's a cracker. Perfect Christmas present, as always. Mm. Well, or
0: you can buy Olive, Mabel and Me and Dog Days as a sort of two-book collection, um, despite the fact that... Or maybe The Golf Wars as the well. The Golf Wars. Eddie, if you could have you got Live and put- Let Die, <laughs> you should call that. Yeah. Le- live and Let Die. I want... Wo- I wanted to call it Wedge. And they wouldn't let me. <laughs> that's good.
2: good. That is quite good. Uh, no, that's very
0: good. Eddie, have you got a book on the go? No, Novel something books? came to
2: mind, but I'm not going to say it. Yeah, I think... Uh, that is progress for me. That is probably wise. <laughs> anyway, listen,
0: thank you very, 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 very much indeed for joining us. Our extra special guest, um, Richard Osman and uh, that was great fun thank you gents no thank you you have uh, shown Thanks, yourself Richard. to be a true golf fan as well and mm-hmm. uh, maybe we should get that golf monthly column going again no you're too busy ian thank you eddie thank you eddie. heading back to the wilderness um never mind tournament golf is coming back for you next week eddie so send her on into the barn with a pro sender <laughs> bye all see you next week i'm gonna do a book on naked cricket
2: and that completes this edition of the chipping forecast wishing you a safe and pleasant night
1: holding pocket